Welcome to the OA Virtual Kitchen Sink Meeting Podcast. Visit the Los Angeles Intergroup at oalaig.org for information on how to join our meeting live and how to donate to support this meeting and our podcasts. The opinions expressed on the Kitchen Sink Podcast are those of the individual speakers and do not represent OA as a whole. And now, our speaker. Guess what? I'm a compulsive reader, an egomaniac. So when I was five years old, let's go back there. When I was five years old, my mother told me not to lend some toys to the boy next door. And it's always been of my nature to like to share things with people. Um, and I, of course, nodded my head in understanding towards my mother and went one ear went out the other. When I got home, of course, I had shared my toys with the boy next door and she took a belt and whipped me, held me, cried and told me she loved me. What a wonderful message for a five-year-old. <laughs> what the is going on here? I tell that story um, not because I am consider myself a chronically battered child, or my mom had a, in some ways at times she could be a rageaholic, but my mom, God rest her soul, was five foot six and weighed 330 pounds. And so the reason I tell this story is I don't know the reason specifically that I'm a compulsive overeater. And ultimately, by the way, it really doesn't matter. It's interesting conversation, but it really doesn't matter. But I tell that because there is a possibility that if there's any genetic connection, and then certainly if there's certainly an emotional connection, which there was, um, my mom, I learned early on from my mom at my mother's knee how to use food to not have to deal with my feelings and this wonderful thing called life. Um, I, she didn't really, in, I, it wasn't her intention to teach me that, I don't believe. But I can look back now as an adult and if I were doing a little mental detective work, not trying to figure it all out, but I strongly suspect there's a possibility that maybe the neighbors, maybe even this boy said something to her offensive about her weight. And there have been times, well, I, you know, whether it's inherited or just something that learned or just who I am, there have been times in my life where I have raged at other people. And the I I don't want to get into psychoanalysis here, but I know most of the things that in my life that usually are a trigger for me are things that are based on fear. And they may come out as different emotions, but essentially it's based on fear. I'm not good enough. Uh, I missed something in school somewhere. Nobody gave me the secret to life. Why the hell did they do that to me? Because I'm still trying to figure it out. Well, I haven't quite figured it out, but I have figured out one thing, and that was getting to OA was what gave me a plan to be able to live life on life's terms. And by the way, living life on life's terms is, for me, a question of acceptance. It doesn't mean I have to – my willingness to accept something doesn't, isn't, doesn't mean that I necessarily have to like it. It just is once that I can accept what the reality of the situation is, then I can make saner choices of what to do. And oh, by the way, going back to learning from my mom's knee about food, that was my mechanism for living life was I could escape through food. I could put physical, literally physical difference between me and somebody else. And 
With that, I'm going to fast forward to when I was 33 years old, which has been about, what, 42, 43 years ago, something like that. And um, I woke up one day and I was a single father, literally overnight. And then the engine in the car blew up and I had uh, had to take care of some uh, abscesses in my teeth. I lost my job, et cetera, et cetera. And once again, I don't say those things out of to curry pity, although to be quite honest, there's that little teeny bit part in me says, wow, you went through a lot of crap, man, and you made it through. Aren't you really great? And the answer is not <laughs> would have been completely wacko and bonkers had I not gotten into a 12-step program at that particular time. And the reason I say that is, is that that's been about roughly 42 years ago. In fact, it was 1981. And that was my first lifeline. And taking that from there and fast forwarding another few years to about, well, let me think about this. 32 years ago, as a matter of fact. Yeah. In 1991, um, my wife, my second wife and I lost a son that we were expecting and he didn't make it into this world. And I am not a believer that there is a higher power that visits me with horrible and terrible things to get my attention. Because if that were the kind of higher power that I had in my life, well, I already fired that son of a bitch a long time ago. Because I don't want anybody or anything in my life like that. Life has baked into it, built in, baked into it, get that reference for a way, has baked into it, built into it, all these potential challenges and stumbling blocks. And it really isn't that life is after Victor and trying to, you know, do him in. This is just the natural part of what it is. Do I like it? I, I challenge anybody to go into the literature anywhere and say that I have to like it. I just need to accept it. Because if I don't accept it, then what I do is I start getting angry and out of those, that uh, anger develops resentment. And then it goes back to once again, what I learned at my mom's knee, food will take care of it. Food worked wonderfully until it didn't. And there are. People out there who seem to be born with an innate ability to deal with life, I wasn't one of them. And so when we lost that, our son, um, it was one of those other opportunities, windows, just like 10 years before, where I was emotionally open and available to listen to possibly another way to do something. And my... A few days went by, and after I remember when I got my wife home from the hospital, uh, I asked her, you know, it was, it was in the evening, and we were going to bed, and we are going to sleep, and I asked her, I said, you know, are you doing okay? Meaning, you know, from a health standpoint, physical health standpoint, I knew there were still emotional things that we would need to deal with. And she said yes, and it's like that was my light switch to allow me to be able to deal with my feelings. And I just started crying and bawling and sobbing for the loss of our son. Um, I have learned through the program 
that it's important to deal with my feelings. I have learned through the program it's important to deal with my feelings in an appropriate way at the appropriate time. When I had first gotten the call from my wife that she was having a problem and I was driving home from work, which at the time was in Pasadena down towards Los Angeles. Anybody who's been on the Pasadena freeway, there's an old freeway. It was built back in the 30s, as I remember, even possibly late 20s. Built for cars that were speeding along at 40 miles an hour. Well, that's not speeding today. And I, I learned something very important when I started heading into this one big, huge curve over there. I am not going to be able to be of service to my wife to myself or to anyone else if I start crying at that moment, which might cause me to have an accident, which didn't mean I was stuffing my feelings down. It just meant that it was okay to put them aside for a moment. It was not okay to never have to deal with those feelings. So if about a week or so after this particular incident, I went to my wife and I had cut out a little ad that you find in the papers. You know, this is like they show you the picture of the person before and then six weeks later, the person, the picture of the person afterwards, and you give us X number of thousands of dollars, and you too can look like this, which is, I don't doubt that it is. In fact, if you look carefully, they have them standing at different angles and all sorts of things to make sure that that second, six weeks later picture looks great. But like I tell people is, is that I realized they don't show you a picture of what that person looks like six weeks and one day later. Six months later, six years later, we unfortunately, I I think this has probably happened to one degree or another, but especially now where somehow we want to be at the solution without having to work to get there. We want to know what the end of the story is without listening to the story and having all the feelings that go along with it. So when I showed her this little thing that I cut out, I said to her, I don't want to do this, but I know I've got a problem with food. And that was the first time I really actually said that to any other human being. And I'm grateful that my wife knew about and said, you might want to consider going to OA. So once again, being the good Boy Scout that I was, I got all the information I needed to, all the different meetings that there were. And one morning, about a week later, after that week later, I'm driving down to this other meeting and I'm going into the other meeting and my brain is going, yeah, but you've got this thing called OA that you said you really think you need to go to. And my brain immediately, because it knows how to self-destruct without any help from anyone else, started telling me, you don't really want to go to that meeting yet because you don't know who's going to be there. You don't know what the chairs are like. You don't know what the lighting is like. You don't know if somebody's going to see you there and maybe say something to someone else. Now, this is from a person who already had 10 years in the 12-step program and understands anonymity, but this is how the brain works. It, the brain is, it is designed to think, and when it does and put to work in an appropriate way, it's such a wonderful thing. But as I think most of us know here at the meeting, is, is that our brains don't always work so well. And guess what? That's why if you're at this meeting, that's why you're at this meeting, because there's moments in your life where this thing hasn't worked so well. And it tries to convince you of shit that is, doesn't make any bit of difference. It's going to be good for you. But I'm grateful that I had enough of 10 years in the previous in another program that I finally realized what I was doing and I got my ass to a meeting over at the church in Santa Monica on Hill Street. And for the first time in my life, there were 30 people there or so. I knew none of them. And I was able to raise my hand and say, I'm a compulsive overeater. 
And in a moment where it feels as if somehow you're a failure because you say that, please understand, if you can, deep in your heart, that it's at that moment that you started to walk through the doors of freedom. Because if I'm not willing to be able to be exactly who I am in front of other people, selected people, not the guy walking down the street who's, you know, talking about strains, Martians, and tin hats. But if I'm not willing to be myself with at least one other person in this life, with the snot running down my nose, with my eyes red, with no idea of what I'm going to do next, then there's probably very little chance of my being able to be free from compulsive overeating. There's this, there's an old story that's, that goes around. I forget exactly how it is, but the guy walking down the road all of a sudden walks around, doesn't see it, falls into a giant hole and people are walking by and he's asking for help. And, you know, preacher walks by and he says, help, help, help. And the preacher says, I'll pray for you and keeps on walking. And there's all sorts of examples like this. And finally he's yelling for help and somebody comes in and jumps down in the hole with him. And the guy says, what the hell did you do that for? He says, how are we going to get up? And he said, now he said, why didn't you just throw me down a ladder from up there? And he said, because I know the way out. And somebody was willing to jump down in that hole with me and to help me get out, to be able to, in some cases, literally hold my hand, a shoulder to cry on if I needed to, and to be able to the first time in my life to really be able to start healing from all those different things in my life that I kept stuffed down. And that the only way I knew to deal with was to stuff food into it. And that anesthetized it once again until it didn't anesthetize it anymore. And I can only say if once again, if you're brand new, please keep coming back. If something that I've said helps, that's great. But I also know that I'm not the only person in the world with a message. Uh, and if you keep coming back to enough meetings, somewhere along the line, you may hear your story. Or at the very least, somewhere along the line, if you read the literature, the light bulbs will start going off inside of your head. And you will come to the realization that there is a way out. And that there is somebody who's going to be willing to jump down in that hole with you to be able to help you get out. And we all, in all 12-step programs, obviously are involved in some type of an addiction. The addictions that occur in OA doesn't make us better than other 12-step programs, but there is a little bit of a difference sometimes, and that difference is some people are anorexic, some people are bulimic, some people are like me, just a garden variety compulsive overeater, and we all come to it with maybe slightly different manifestations of what the problem is, and that problem is something that's happening inside of me. And find somebody who has something to share that you can identify with. And when you come to the meetings, keep coming back. 
If it feels foreign to you, if it feels like a cult, put those things aside for a moment. Try and, if you can, focus on what the stories that people tell you. And somewhere in through there, you may find a connection where somebody will tell part, if not all, of your story. And you will find that at that particular moment, you'll feel like you've finally come home. Um, there were times in my life where I used to start wondering what I'd be like without the program. And then it got to the point where I would start rapidly realizing, oh, I know exactly what it would be like without having the program. It would have been my life all in the years past before I got into program. And I still sometimes do things that cause myself pain. But I don't have to go to the, that substance of food to be able to salve my soul at those moments, if I choose to. And that's why it's important to have contact with people and not just the program, because the program really, the people are the program. And in the morning when I do my spiritual practice, one of the things I do is, is I list things that I'm grateful for. And one of the things that I'm tremendously grateful for is this program, most particularly the people in it. Because somewhere along the line, I heard something from someone that resonated with me. And as a result of that, I was able to find a reason to keep coming back. Excuse me, I have five minutes left. Thank you very much. And the uh, one of the other important things as well, too, I believe, is to get involved in the program. As with anything, you cannot take out what you haven't put in. And that putting in may be something so simple as putting the chairs up at the beginning of a meeting or taking them down or cleaning up afterwards or doing being of some involved in some sort of service. And what that service does, it helps get me out of this thing that doesn't quite work well all the time, especially when it comes to food. It doesn't work at all because it tells me things that if I were a sane person listening to those, I would tell somebody, you better run in the other direction from what that that brain of yours or someone else might be, figuratively speaking, telling you. But by being of service, you can get out of yourself. Um, I sponsor four people. I've sponsored up to eight people at different times in my life. And what it does is, is that there's a story. I forget which particular king it was, probably somewhere around the 1400s, supposedly. And when he one time was in battle, he was killed. And all of his people loved him so much that they took his heart and they put it into a vessel. And they kept that vessel and honored it. And what they would do is, is when they would have to go into battle in the future, they would take that vessel and they would throw it into the enemy. Sounds kind of strange, but that's what is important, I think, in terms of the program. If I throw my heart into it, not just my head, if I throw my heart into it and all my feelings into it, then I'll have a better connection and a reason for coming back. Um, I'm the kind of person, I don't know if anybody else is this way too, but if I can avoid doing things in life that appear to be work, then I will try and avoid it and not do it. And so if I have a reason to get there and do something, it keeps my brain occupied. It keeps my hand occupied. It puts my, uh, 
my butt in a chair somewhere in a meeting so that I will be there to learn and to be of service to other people as well. Um, I am certainly not perfect. I am grateful, though, because of being in this program, I have 32 years of abstinence one day at a time. And that's really the important thing is, is, is that it's not even one day at a time. Sometimes in my life, it's only been one second at a time because that's all I could muster. The important thing there is, is that I didn't have to live with the thought of, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen in 15 seconds from now or two years from now or 30 years from now? Because there is a program. I have the support of the people that are here by working this program to the best of my ability. I've been given the gift of abstinence. And it's something that I cherish one day at a time. Um, people talk about recovery. People talk about recovered. I'm not here to try and uh, suss out the difference in terms from a, a semantic standpoint. I just know the only way I can remain uh, abstinent is if I stay with this program one day at a time and to be of service to other people. And by doing that, I'm being of service to myself. It sounds a little bit odd, but it is true. And that's the only way I can keep it is by giving it away. And the thing that I have learned in life as well, too, is if I can share it with somebody else, if I can teach something to someone else, then two things happen. The other person hopefully will get someone out of it. But as I even tell my people when I sponsor that I sponsor, I said, I really hope that all this helps you, but I got to be real honest with you. This is a damn selfish program and I'm doing it for me. But I also hopefully am grateful and when people get it on their end as well too, because there is a good feeling about being able to be the person who can jump into that hole with somebody else and help them find a way out. Um, I don't think that there is a, this is a simple program, but it's not always easy. And I'm not here to give you a particular one word or one phrase that's going to all of a sudden change your life. This is a program that's intended for me to be able to live my life without having to rely on something else to be able to numb my feelings. And guess what? By not doing that and experiencing all these feelings, I'm open to the range of all the wonderful feelings that come along with life as well, too. And um, once again, please keep coming back, whether you're new or have been here a long time, because I can't do this without you. And I'm selfish. I want to maintain my abstinence. So please help me. Thank you very much for letting me share. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. If you asked a question last week, please wait until the first three questions have been asked before raising your hand. If you have a question, please click the raise your hand icon and then we'll stop at about 9.50. Does anyone have a question. Uh, let me see. Ryan? Hi, Ryan, Compulsible Reader. Thanks so much for your share. That was amazing. I really like that story with the pit. Um, uh, my question is, what is what does your daily maintenance look like? And how has that 
like what are some of the big changes you've made over the years to that 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 you feel have made a huge difference for you um I, it sounds like that could be a two part question one spiritual and one physical maybe and in that regard my uh morning practice which i don't do 100% of the time but i it's, it's my goal to do this every morning when i wake up is is that uh the first thing i do is i meditate and to go to your question about what has changed i used to do as it says in step 11 and i'm by the way underline this is only my op- my opinion it says prayer and meditation and somewhere along the line, somebody suggested that I might tr- try meditating first. And so that's what I do. And the reason that I chose to do that and it was suggested by someone else is that it helps center me and calm me down. And so that when I finally do get to the point of prayer, I'm a little bit more centered. And there's a good chance I'm going to understand what I'm praying about more rather than just sort of rushing into the prayer to begin with. So I pray. Uh, then I go through a list of things that I'm grateful for. And through the process of listing those things that I'm grateful for, one of the things that I start doing is, is that I also start praying. And for me, prayer is an intention. It's an intention that sets my mind on something outside of myself, praying for the betterment of someone else so that I don't get hung up in just that thing in my head that keeps saying, I, 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 I. And so I pray for certain things to be available, some goodness or whatever it happens to be for other people. I also have come up with a prayer that I say before I get into the three steps. And the prayer goes something like this. I pray that all who need strength and guidance find it, along with acceptance compassion and forgiveness for themselves and others. And I include myself in that prayer too, because if I don't accept what the reality is, my brain's going to start spinning stories, which it does anyway, but I can just quietly pat it on the head and say, nice boy, go sit in the corner, please. And we'll take care of you later. Um, and Compassion and forgiveness, because if I can't have that for myself, I'm sure as hell I'm not going to want it for anybody else. And if I set that out as part of my intention, then I get into the first step, which tells me basically that I'm powerless over food. And my life had become unmanageable, and it had become unmanageable because I thought I could control the food, and I can't. It's, it's been proven to me too many times. I know I can't. And in the second step, which tells me, okay, Now that it appears that all hope is lost because your own self-will is now out the window, then it tells me there is a power greater than myself that can restore me to sanity. And then in the third step, I can actively take that step, for my case, by saying that particular prayer. And there's two things there, is that if nothing else, I know that there is a power greater than I am. All I have to do is look at the universe and everything around me here, even on this planet that we live on. All of these things are massively more than I am. There's the wisdom and the compassion that I have found in the program. And this certainly, for me, is a power greater than I am. Because the people who walk the road before I have 
have been willing to show me the the road that they walk so I can walk the same road if I want to as well. And in that third step, it says, um, I'm all of a sudden I've done my, my 75 year old. I'm at that point in my life where I can hide my own Easter eggs occasionally because a thought just rolled out of my mind, like a roast Easter egg out of the, out of the bag, out of the basket. Um, relieve me of the bondage of self. That to me is, was the key of what got me to having all the problems that I had before was the bondage of self. And when I pray to my higher power, I pray for the release from that bondage of self and to be able to listen to the wisdom that everybody has to share in this program. And so did that answer your question, Brian? And you had a physical aspect in terms of maybe have I changed anything in the way that I've eaten since I was that part of that question? No, just whatever you felt okay. was an important part of your daily routine. So thank yeah, you for that's that. That's the daily routine. Good. Thank you, Ryan. Deb. That's a perfect segue into my question, which is how has your abstinence and food plan changed throughout the years in program? Good question. My abstinence, I don't think my abstinence has changed. My abstinence has been is, and I'm not going to say will always be because I may, something may, more may be revealed and I might find out something new, but is abstaining from compulsive reading and also abstaining, if you would, from situations, people, places, and things that can put me into a situation where I could potentially compulsively overeat. For example, my mother-in-law, um, God rest her soul, <laughs> knew I was in OA. And yet she would still offer me food and things, that, and desserts and things that she knew that I wasn't going to eat. Because one of the things, unfortunately, I've learned in life is that sometimes people don't want you, don't want to come up, know, that sounds judgmental, but to get to the point of some semblance of sanity that I like to think I have on some occasions, they want to bring you down to the, their level of insanity. And so the thing that I learned in that regard, by the way, and you didn't ask this question, but I'll offer it anyway, is I just learned how to take a a nonviolent approach to it, which was thank you, no thank you. And I would just keep repeating thank you, no thank you, not in a sarcastic way, but in a nice and loving and concerned way until she got tired of asking me that question. Um it's kind of like being in a fight with somebody that's bigger than you are and you win because you let them beat the crap out of you. But eventually they get so tired that they fall over from fatigue. They get tired of beating you up. And so I would do that in terms of the actual food. Things have changed over the years and I'll be a little bit specific here in one fashion. When I started off, I borrowed somebody else, somebody else's food plan, which was three meals and nothing in between. Uh, very briefly, I worked in a position in the last 30 years of my working life where I was not a doctor or physician or in an emergency room, but I had hours that simulated that. Um, I, the, I had the dubious distinction, my dubious record of being awake, and I know other people have beaten this, was 40 hours straight without any sleep working. Not just resting, watching TV, but actually working. And I had days and nights where I sometimes I'd be working up and down over over the course of 24, 48 hours, 36 hours, obviously 40. And I maybe I'd get five minutes of sleep every two or three hours. Nature of what I did won't bore you with the detail. But I had to learn how to adapt a food plan 
to be able to deal with that. Because guess what? One of the things that I didn't realize before I got in the, pro- in the, the program was being tired and sleepy is not hunger. But it seemed that way to me because I could take something and eat something in, especially things like sugar, that would give me that spike of energy. And then, of course, I'd crash again. So I had to find a way to pace myself. So instead of having three meals a day, sometimes I have five or six. But those five or six are not five or six. They're five or six. With the idea that I could have energy available to me as I needed it. And I was able to therefore adapt. I've really found that you can even go and sometimes to really trashy restaurants. And if you're careful enough, you can find potentially something on the menu, or you can even ask and say, would you be willing to do X, Y, Z for me? And it was a way of being able to have um, a food plan that it was portable enough to deal with these different situations. I don't really eat five or six meals now. Usually it's more like maybe three or four, but once again, there are manageable sizes so that I know that that intake isn't going to cause me to do one of two things or both things to balloon up and, or then therefore to use food to stuff my feelings down. But that gets me through the day. Did it answer the question? Thank you very much. Do you still have resentments? And if so, how do you deal with them? <laughs> no, I'm a saint. See? Whoops, crack, boom, fell off. I, yeah, I do get resentments from time to time. Um, and usually that's as a result of my not having kept my side of the street clean properly. And when that happens, for whatever reason, uh, sometimes it's, a, I want to put this. There was an opening of a TV program where this guy was in a batting stance, you know, like in a batter's box, and all of a sudden it looked like a hundred baseballs came at him at one time. Sometimes life is like that. Sometimes it isn't just the buildup of one thing after another. Sometimes all of a sudden life throws so many things at him, at me, that I'm not able to catch them all at the same time. And when that happens, I can become afraid and frustrated. And the way that I can exhibit that is through anger. And if I take that anger and I stuff it down by not having dealt with the other things, then what happens is then I need to find a victim. And I don't want that victim to be me. So my brain is out there hunting for the right victim. And of course, the right, there never is a right victim. The, the victim is according to something I learned years ago from another fellow who said that in a 12 step program, he was an injustice collector. Remember the old green stamps or blue chip stamps that you would put into the little things? And if you saved up a book, you go in and get a popsicle. If you have a whole truckload, maybe you'd get a small transistor radio. Well, he was an injustice collector. What he would do is is that he wouldn't collect every little injustice that was done to him. And, and you put a stamp in his book. And if you happen to be that lucky person who put the last stamp in the book, you didn't just get the one stamp's worth of anger coming out with you. You got all that buildup of all the anger and resentments that had not been dealt with, and you got it all dumped on you at one time. If I'm maintaining a connection with the spirit of this program and my higher power, then I can be more aware of what's going on 
pretty close to, in some cases, many cases, real time. And if I'm able to do that, then I can pick up the phone, I can write, I can text somebody, I can read something to be able to get the help that I need to be able to let go of the steam that's starting to build up because of something perceived injustice that has, I think, been done to me. And if I can do that, the sooner I can do that, the greater chance there is that I won't take it out on someone else. Case in point, about a month ago, um, my wife basically, and I'm sure nobody here has ever had that happen to them, essentially said to me the equivalent of, have a nice day. And my response is, what the hell do you mean by that? Because it wasn't that particular comment. It was all the other stuff that I had forgotten to deal with or put aside because I didn't want to deal with it at the time. And so I'm grateful that I've gotten to the point where when I do something like that, I can usually within moments apologize. And then I can continue not to dwell on it, but to try and understand what my part was in it. And then if I do that, I can then make the best amends which are possible. I'm sorry is okay. It's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But the most important part is for me to be able to make amends, to mend the tear in my life at that moment. And if I can do that I by understanding what's going on and with the help of the program, then I can act differently going forward. I have made a mistake every single day of my life since I was born, some days multiple, and I will do the same thing between now and the time that I die. No question there. The question is, what am I going to do when I make that mistake? And am I going to compound it by making another mistake, or am I going to look towards a program to be able to find a way to change the only thing that I can change in life? And this frustrates me because I'd like to change a lot of things. I'm the only thing that I can change in life. I can't change anything else. That answer your question. Indeed, it does. Thank you, sir. Thank you, John. Alan, I think you're up. I'm up. Hello. Thank you for your your lead. It was absolutely wonderful. So, my question today is: I'm a returnee, and I am on day 25. And my head, I feel so good and so wonderful that I feel like I've lost 100 pounds. Well, it's only been 25 days, so clearly, I have not. And so I want to know, how do you deal with getting that immediate gratification, setting it aside, or is there a certain prayer, or I just need to do the work, and results will follow, obviously, but it's in God's time and not mine, and I'm kind of battling with that right now. Yeah, um, I think I may have mentioned this earlier, but I think most human beings want to get to the the end of the story before they get to the end of the story. And rather than having to plow through all the things that go between now and whatever that time is. Um, so basically keep coming back one foot after the other, one step at a time. And if you do that and don't focus on the future and stay in the present as much as possible, then the results will come. Hope that helped. I'm sorry I wasn't able to answer more. 